0: Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. So this morning for Easter, what we're going to do, just in prayer, I felt led to do this, that we are going to go through the three movements that make Easter what it is, the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. Now, as a church family, last Sunday, we began Holy Week with Palm Sunday. We moved through Maundy Thursday where we gathered for a meal here, and there were about 100 people here in the sanctuary, and we broke bread and had communion together. Then we move towards Good Friday, which is a uniquely awkward service with no real joy and no benediction. And we walked out of this sanctuary without hope. And then here we are on resurrection Sunday morning. Now, what we always do as a church family, because we focus on the kingdom of God, is we always pray the Lord's Prayer together. If you come from a high church background, that might be known as the Our Father. But we're gonna pray the Lord's Prayer together And then you will be seated. This then is how you should pray. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth in Charlottesville as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. How many of you know we live in a broken world? By the way, literally, I was in the foyer just a few minutes ago and my watch fell off, the watch band fell off. And so this sermon's gonna be long because I have no clue <laughs> what time it is. Now, what I'm going to do in this sermon, I'm going to break a lot of rules of preaching at the outset, and that is a good sermon keeps you on the edge of your seat till the end, and then the punchline. I'm going to give you the punchline up front. The punchline is going to be taken from my favorite living biblical scholar. His name's N.T. Wright. Here's what he says about the resurrection. Again, the punchline is at the beginning. The central claim of the early church. Now, the early church are the people that were alive while Jesus was alive or immediately after within that generation. The central claim of the early church was, of course, that Jesus of Nazareth had been raised from the dead. The central claim wasn't that he was a great teacher, a powerful healer, an inspiring leader, or that he was the victim of of a gross miscarriage of justice. All of those were true, but that wouldn't add up to the early Christian faith and life. The crucial fact they believed was that Jesus had been bodily raised to life after being well and truly dead and buried. This is what they announced to the startled world, the world of Jews and Gentiles. The resurrection. Now what we're going to do this morning is we're going to read the most dramatic of the resurrection stories. Up to half of all four gospels are a death march where Jesus has announced that he's going to Jerusalem and die. And the rest of the gospel, up to half the gospel, is what does it look like to follow Jesus as he moves towards the cross, the burial, and the resurrection. We're going to pick up the most dramatic of these readings, and it's found in the Gospel of Matthew. Here we go. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. It's interesting to note that even Jesus' mortal enemies knew that he had said he would be killed buried, and then raised to life on the third day. And their nickname for Jesus was deceiver. Reading on, So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he'd been raised from the dead. This last deception... Will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate said. Go and make the tomb secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. A seal is very simple it's a wax blob that Pilate's ring signet would have been stuck in the middle of. And the message was you mess with this stone, you mess with all of Rome. Jesus is risen. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, "'Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking "'for Jesus, who was crucified.'" They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Again, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the three parts that make up Easter the cross, burial, and the resurrection. Behind me is the picture of a painting that I used to sit next to and look at throughout Holy Week when I was a chaplain at a university in New Jersey. They have an incredible art museum. And I used to sit there and look at this painting. Now, the cross was so painful that a new Latin word was coined to describe the unbelievable pain. It's the word excruciating. X is out of and cruciate is the cross. It was such an emblem of torture and so painful, humankind had never experienced that level of pain before. Excruciating. The next picture you now see is the picture of a heel bone with a spike through the heel bone. And I took that picture at an antiquities museum in Jerusalem. Now, what the text tells us is that Jesus was crucified. Just so you know, crucifixion was done at eye level. It wasn't as though they were raised 30 feet in the air. We know that it was done at eye level, and people were always crucified along major roads and thoroughfares. It's so that everyone could see the power of Rome. What else is interesting to note is the text tells us that there are three crosses. There's one on the right where there's a thief. There's one in the middle, that's Jesus. And there's one on the left with another thief. What's interesting though is if you look up the word thief in Greek, it is not thief at all. The Greek word actually means terrorist or someone who's an insurrectionist. You see, Rome didn't crucify thieves. Rome executed people that were a threat to Rome. These people would be known in the Roman world as a terrorist, as someone who had done something with violence and they had killed Romans to further their cause. So now we have our scene. Jesus is in the middle and there's a terrorist on either side of him. By the way, in the ancient world, the cross said something about your life as well as your death. Now, what I want to do in looking at the cross is I would like to pick up a conversation that happens on the cross. It's found in Luke chapter 23, where the two terrorists, the Bible calls them here in English thieves, they hold a conversation with each other. The criminals speak to each other. We pick up our reading in Luke 23. Here's what the text says. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We, we terrorists, are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, the one in the middle, has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice he even knew that Jesus was ushering in a new kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's another painting of three crosses that's hung in the museum where I used to go and sit as a chaplain. And the idea is in the Newer Testament that this event, as with all others in the Gospels, is written as a drama. It's true, but it's a drama. And the idea is, is you're called to stand in front of the scene. Here's the scene. Jesus is in the middle. There's a terrorist to his right and one to his left. The terrorist on this side leans forward, looks at Jesus, and says, get us out of here. If you are truly the miracle worker people say you are, get us off the cross. The other gospel says he begins to hurl curses at Jesus. On the other side of the cross, as the drama unfolds, is another terrorist He leans forward further than Jesus and he looks at the other guy and looks at him and says, be quiet, you and I are getting what our deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong and I would submit to you the two terrorists killed with Jesus had the best seat in the house to see who Jesus truly was. They had been tortured with him. They had been crucified with him. And these two guys had observed him the entire time, and they'd never seen anyone like him. The one on this side leans forward and rebukes the other insurrectionist, and then he turns to Jesus, and he says, will you remember me? Will you remember me as you step in to your kingdom? Will you remember me? And Jesus says... Go believe certain things and get baptized and come back. Jesus says, there's five critical doctrine that you need to know, otherwise you're not in. Jesus said, go get your life right and then come back. Get cleaned up. He says, none of that. Jesus looks at this guy and says, today you will be with me in paradise. By the way, the word paradise is a synonym to the word of the Garden of Eden. Sir, you will be with me in the environment that God always intended us to live. You will be there today because of me. The idea for the cross is you're supposed to stand in front of it and ask yourself the question, which guy do I agree with? Do I agree with this guy who looks at Jesus and flatly rejects him? Or, by faith, do you stand in front of this drama and do you agree with this guy? You agree with this terrorist that you deserve any punishment you would get. But because of that, you're gonna turn to him and you're gonna ask him to remember you. Remember me as you step into your kingdom. Take me with you. This guy voices faith in Jesus. Which will you do? Now, if you're a spiritual person, you know that what you see on the surface never tells the whole story of what's going on. The Newer Testament writers tell us what's going on behind the scenes on the cross. Philippians 2.8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 through 15, when you were dead in your sins God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins and having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, we deserved to die. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, what you think is happening by looking at the cross, what is spiritually happening behind the scenes is counterintuitive to what you see in the natural. Because listen, what Rome did was put people on a cross and made a public spectacle of them. And yet when Paul looks at the cross, he says, Rome thought they were making a public spectacle of Jesus and triumphing over him. But what was spiritually happening was Jesus was making a spectacle of them and triumphing over them. You see, it's an upside-down kingdom. In the kingdom of God, it may look like you're losing, but you're winning because of Jesus Why the cross? In 2 Corinthians five twenty one, the Apostle Paul writes, "God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we may, might become the righteousness of God." Romans five eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the cross. Now let's go to the burial. The burial is simple. You see, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea go to Pilate and ask if they could take the body off the cross. You can rest assured that Pilate made sure Jesus was dead before he ever gave up the body. As a local ruler, the last thing you want is an insurrectionist, a terrorist that you attempted to kill to still be alive. You see, the idea of the tomb is this. Jesus is dead. Here's a couple pictures I've taken of the tomb that if you ever visit Israel, this is the tomb that you will be taken to that they believe held the body of Jesus. But the point of the burial, the point of the tomb is simple. Jesus is dead. He is dead dead. As we would say, he's deader than a doornail. I have no clue where that phrase comes from, but I've heard it my whole life. That's the idea of the tomb. Jesus is dead. He is no longer alive. But as we all know, what's on the surface isn't ever the final story. Because while he's in the tomb dead, something else is happening. Jesus is facing death. Physical deadness is a symptom of a greater problem. In the Bible, it's known as death. It's known as sin. It's known as darkness. It's known as evil. It's known as chaos. It's known as brokenness. It's known as dysfunction and hell and the grave and heartache. It's presented in a lot of names. But the sin that holds it all together is death what the Bible teaches is that while Jesus is dead, death brings everything it's got against him. Death, the force that opposes God's best, has been waiting for this moment since the fall of Adam and Eve. And in this moment, death makes its move to crush the only one who can bring life through death. Well, what we discover is is that Jesus is in a tomb. He's dead. He's dead, dead. And all hope is gone. Now let's deal with the resurrection. You see, no one expected Jesus to be alive. His closest disciples at this time of his ministry were women, women. The text is clear is that the women show up with burial issues and items. They are looking to embalm his body. They were not expecting him to be alive. The men didn't even bother coming. They know Jesus is dead. No one has expected him to be alive. Now to refresh our memories, I'm going to read for us again the drama the dramatic story of Jesus' resurrection. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. They're not looking for a resurrection. They're looking for a dead body. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. If you've ever seen these stones, they weigh tons I picture the angel just flicking it with his pinky and it wobbles and flops over and he sits on it and he's chilling (laughs) waiting for the women. And the text says his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I once heard an African-American preacher put it this way, they fainted and messed their pampers. I love that. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus. He was crucified. No one lived through crucifixion, he is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. He is risen from the dead. He is going ahead of you. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb. Afraid yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings he said. They came and clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There. They will see me. Now we stand in front of an empty tomb and we have a decision to make. What are we going to believe? The Newer Testament writers inform us. The Apostle Peter, who has the second best name in all of the Bible, said, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put death in the body, He was put to death in the body, but made alive in spirit, Romans 6, 9. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death, that opposing force to God's best, death no longer has mastery over him. How do we put feet to our faith with this story? Well, the following New Testament writers explain a few more things to us. First Corinthians fifteen, three through eight, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of them who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. You see, as the Apostle Paul is preaching on the resurrection, he says, if you don't believe Jesus was raised, there were 500 people or more who personally sat with him, listened to him teach, even broke bread with him. Go ask them. By the way, maybe one person may have seen something weird. But 500 people at once cannot all see a mirage. They knew it was Jesus. Acts 1.3 says, after his suffering, Jesus presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He peered to them over 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. You see, the angel was right. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Through death Through the cross and the burial and the resurrection, he has conquered death. The Newer Testament writers teach us that on the cross, he paid the price of my sin, my brokenness. He took God's judgment upon himself for me and he did it for you as well. Billions of people have found hope and peace and new life because of what we just looked at. The Newer Testament writers tell us, Romans 4, 25, he was delivered over to death for your sins and was raised to life for our justification. Peter goes on to write, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Would you stand with me? And as you do, I would like to you in faith to position yourself before an empty tomb. That you would take a moment to close your eyes and open your heart. You are in front of an empty tomb. And you must decide, what will I believe about Jesus? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You stand in front of an empty tomb. What will you believe? I would beg you. I would encourage you to believe that he is the one who has conquered death.